top prospects continue to rise to the majors, and the Padres and Astros' closer situations have some interesting new wrinkles. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy. Three. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, August 19th. I'm Al Melker, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. We're, we're getting going here just, you know, a couple minutes later uh, recording this than we normally would because we were uh, hanging on the edges of our seats, seeing if Kenta Maeda was going to throw a no-hitter. But alas, thanks to Eric Sogard, no, no, no. Who'd have thought Eric Sogard was going to break it up? The Brewers have had a lot of swing and miss in their lineup this season, and the bottom half of their lineup has been just in a terrible slump, with the exception of Luis Urias, who probably will move up in the lineup very soon. So they're definitely an offense that you could stream against, not to say that Maeda was a streamer, but normally I look at the Brewers and I try to avoid pitchers, like mid-level pitchers going against them. And right now, I'm picking on them as much as I possibly can because, again, swing and miss is one key there, but I think they're just missing some pieces. They're playing Ben Gamble a lot. Eric Sogard's a fixture in the lineup. A lot of the bench guys like Brock Holt, they don't really give you anything to worry about. Yeah, I just think this is a weak lineup right now. Yeah, no, they've definitely been helping pitchers out with strikeouts. Uh, Maeda doesn't necessarily need the help. He's been having a spectacular season even before this. But yeah, 12 strikeouts in eight innings for him. Uh, And again, just the one hit allowed. Um, as we're talking here, no runs charged, uh, in the, in the ninth inning. Uh, but, uh, anyway, we got lots of other news to get to here. So, uh, I'm sure you'll be reading about that, uh, in the morning, but, um, Drake Scooble, uh, made his debut and I was fortunate. I suppose I could say fortunate to, uh, to tune into that early on because he was gone after two innings. Uh, Scooble, uh, just, those two innings, four runs on seven hits and a walk, just the one strikeout. Not what you wanted to see from Scooble. Uh, does this change anything for you? Should it? Just maybe more of a process question here. Should it change anything when you have a highly touted uh, prospect like this come in and not have a good debut? I don't think it changes anything for me. I think it, I, I guess if it does change anything, it'd be the ceiling for my bid on Sunday in leagues where he's available and decent number of mixed leagues he's been held onto because I think there was an expectation that he'd be up maybe even a little earlier than the Tigers made this move. Uh, I'm still looking at him as a guy that's probably going to be an above average contributor in strikeouts, even though the debut didn't bring that. You know, we'll see. I think Sunday will be his next start. So we might get one more look at him before waivers are processed and how he fares that second time, I guess, could have another impact in either direction in terms of how aggressive I am with him. But I think he belongs as like a top 50, top 60 starting pitcher the rest of the way. So despite the underwhelming debut, I'm interested. Well, we don't get that luxury with uh, Casey Mize, who's slated to start on Wednesday. Uh, we're only going to get the one start from him this week. And an interesting development there uh, for that White Sox-Tigers game because opposing him, it's not been announced yet, but it is presumed that Dane Dunning is going to make his Major League debut. So what are your expectations for Dunning and what what do you need to see to be bidding on him come Sunday? It's a good question. I, I really, I really want to see how well he commands his pitches. He doesn't have a good fastball, at least based on the scouting grades. 
Uh, the secondaries are a bit better. The sliders is best pitch. The changeup is at least an average offering for him. But if you don't have a good fastball, you can't afford to be bad at locating your pitches. You know, you end up in situations where hitters can predictably sit on that pitch and they can punish it at the big league level. Uh, we're talking about a guy that did not pitch at AAA, but was pretty good at AA last season. A 276 ERA, 129 whip, and 69 Ks in 62 innings. Uh, so really, it comes down to that command. It's hard to judge that in one start, though, too, right? Especially when it's a debut. Like I, I've asked Eno about this before. Is there any sort of pattern or, or trend when it comes to debuts versus subsequent starts? Do hitters come up or pitchers come up and have some nerves that first time out that cause them to struggle with location? And it's something he's looking into. So maybe by the end of the season, we'll have a featured read from Eno that focuses on that. But uh, with Dunning in particular, yeah, it comes down to fastball commands. It's that pitch just isn't that good. All right. Well, uh, at least a little bit of a scouting report there to go on for uh, Wednesday's game. And uh, going back to Tuesday's game, a little bit of a scare for Luis Robert, uh, but uh, he had x-rays on his right hand. It's being diagnosed as just soreness, and he is day-to-day. So uh, certainly much better than uh, I was anticipating when he first sustained the injury. Uh, and some other injury news or, or health news, I should say. Nick Markakis goes to the injured list, uh, the COVID-19 injury list, uh, but uh, doesn't necessarily have COVID, just may have been exposed to somebody with it. So um, nonetheless, to the injured list and replaced by Christian Pache. So this is a call-up that we've been anticipating. And even if Markakis is back in short order, uh, it seems like there's an opportunity there for Pache to uh, to just stay in the lineup. Yeah, I think what could happen is Ender Inciarte could fall out of the lineup completely, and Pache could basically take his spot. It's kind of a semi-regular role when Ronald Acuna is healthy. Right now, Acuna, of course, on the IL with a wrist injury. So I think it comes down to Pache you know, being polished defensively, but also offering more at the plate than someone like Inciarte if he's going to stick once the other outfielders are healthier again. All right. And um, with maybe a little bit of long-term uncertainty there in terms of role, is there anywhere that we shouldn't be looking to pick up Pache? I don't know if he's going to hit enough to be viable in leagues that even are as small as like 12-team mixers from the jump. I think long-term, absolutely, he's viable in nearly all mixed formats. But I think for this season only, I'm being a little more careful with him because I think his glove is actually pretty far ahead of his bat. And I could see him coming up and actually struggling against big league pitching, at least initially. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, definitely reputed to be an elite defender. Uh, and in other uh, COVID-19 related news, the Reds, they're expected to uh, return on Wednesday with a doubleheader. They did not play uh, the Royals on Tuesday. But with that doubleheader, uh, we're going to see the return of Matt Harvey to the major leagues. I guess you could call it a, re- a revenge game of sorts because uh, Harvey is expected to start game two against the Reds. Actually pitched pretty decently for the Reds in 2018. Not a good year at all in 2019 with the uh, Angels. But um, I think it's worth watching this one to see if uh, Harvey is worth bidding on in some deeper leagues. Yeah, see if the velocity's there. See how he's locating everything. I mean, he was interesting to the point of, of being rosterable during that 2018 season. I'm with you. I think, you know, high fours ERA with a league average sort of whip actually plays at least in certain matchups. So uh, I'm, I'm not writing off the possibility that there could still be something left in the tank, even if it's still uh, a limited use sort of profile. 
Uh, all right. Well, and of course, uh, on the subject of teams coming back, of course, the Marlins have been back uh, off of their pause for a while. And uh, Sandy Alcantara is close to coming back, or at least potentially close to coming back, according to Joe Frazaro of MLB.com. He's scheduled to throw 50 pitches on Wednesday. And depending on how that goes, he could be back uh, within a week, possibly a little bit under a week. And that's maybe a timetable we can use to uh, judge how the Cardinals are going to be returning those who are on the COVID-19 uh, injured list. Yadier Molina, Paul DeYoung, Carlos Martinez, uh, they are among a group of players uh, that have been cleared to come off the Cardinals' COVID-19 injured list. So keep tabs on that. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, he's been had been day to day. Now he is officially back on uh, the injury list uh, for the Astros with that knee issue. He's been replaced by Abraham Toro in the DH slot uh, for three straight games now. And George Springer was scratched for Tuesday's game against the Rockies with a sore wrist. So he was replaced by Miles Straw. Um, that one, of course, is going to be more of a day-to-day situation. But again, remember that it was Springer having the wrist issue uh, last week. So something to watch there. But I did see you on Twitter talking a little bit about Abraham Toro. How interested are you in him? I liked him a lot coming up last season. And I think the thing that's been really frustrating is that he just hasn't really done much with limited chances to play at the end of last season and early on this year, but we're still just talking about 124 plate appearances entering Tuesday. I think there is a little bit of pop. There are good plate skills there. Those were on full display, both at AA and AAA last season. Uh, In that lineup especially, even if you're hitting in the bottom third, you can really be a, a pretty good source of counting stats, piling up a lot of runs and RBIs. So if he's able to play well enough to kind of secure Alvarez's role... I think Toro is mixed league viable sooner rather than later, even though the surface numbers right now are very underwhelming. Yeah. So, uh, you know, situation to watch there, um, both with uh, Toro and Alvarez and and with George Springer, of course. Uh, Some interesting things going on in bullpens uh, on Tuesday's slate. Cal Quantrill getting his first career save. And of course, that that Padres situation might be Kind of wide open. I think the presumption was that Drew Pomeranz was going to get the bulk of the saves, uh, but you had Amelia Pagan uh, starting off the ninth and then Quantrill coming in to relieve him. And then with the Astros, another situation that possibly is up for grabs, you had a tie game with the Rockies in the ninth inning, and you had Anoli Paredes pitching uh, the top of the ninth in that one for the Astros. Uh, I think we've talked a little bit about Paredes being in that mix, but... Um, I guess look at both situations here, Quantrill and Paredes, not necessarily the first options you'd look at, but uh, how, how important uh, is it to track these situations and those relievers in particular? I don't think the situation in San Diego is really that much up for grabs. I think Drew Pomeranz is going to get most of those chances. So I don't know if that was just matchups or something that, kind of led things to break the way they did. I think there were a lot of righties coming up, so that's why Pagan was in. And then because Drew Pomeranz, I believe, had pitched earlier in the game, Quantrill was the best available remaining option to finish it out. So I think it was just an unusual set of circumstances there. Houston is one that I really thought Ryan Presley was going to just take the job and run with it. I thought there was a chance he was going to be an upgrade over Roberto Osuna. And if they were to make a change... Is it Paredes or is it Josh James? I mean, I think Josh James has really good stuff. He just doesn't have command. 
I wonder if they would try and maximize his value that way, or if they just see him as a more effective multi-inning reliever, if they like him any time between the sixth and the eighth as a main part of the bridge to get to the ninth inning. I mean, I think that's at least a possibility there. With Inoli Paredes, I think the more I've started to look at some of the underlying numbers there, the more I've actually been pretty impressed. The strikeout rate was really high at double A. Command is a bit of an issue, but the results have been good nearly everywhere he's pitched. A lot of sub-two ERAs coming through uh, A ball as well. So this is a guy that has more ceiling than you think because he really doesn't pop up on prospect lists. But if Ryan Presley continues to struggle, Paredes might be the next guy up. All right. Well, uh, we'll see that uh, situation and Blake Taylor in that mix as well, too. So a little bit complicated in that Houston bullpen. So we talked a little bit earlier about Kenta Maeda uh, with the near no hitter, but far from the um, the only standout performance among pitchers and some notable ones from hitters, too. So we'll uh, spread the wealth around. But let's start with some of the pitchers. And Marco Gonzalez, uh, off to a really good start this season and topping it off on Tuesday with uh, a really nice start against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. Just one run allowed over seven innings uh, on five hits, no walks, nine strikeouts. I think that's the most surprising part of the line right there. Nine strikeouts against the Dodgers. Uh, you can always pretty much count on Gonzalez to be thrifty with the, with the walks, but uh, his strikeout to walk ratio now 26 to three on the season in 29 and two thirds innings. And uh, a little bit of a change in the pitch mix for Gonzalez uh, throwing fewer sinkers, which is you know always a good thing for the strikeout rate and uh, fewer changeups as well. Uh, Antonio Sensatella, eight scoreless innings uh, in that game against the Astros. He's now got a 290 ERA and he too has uh, just a, a spotless strikeout to walk ratio 24 to five. Um, Luke Weaver with a, a nice bounce back start against the A's five innings, just one run on three hits and a walk for him with six strikeouts. Still the ERA for Weaver, uh, a bloated 9.16. Uh, so Gonzalez, Senzatella and Weaver, um, who has you the most interested at this point? It's still Weaver, even with the ugly ratios. I think he took a big step back in the right direction on Tuesday. I actually saw him available on the waiver wire in one of my NL-only leagues this weekend. That was pretty surprising. I think it's a 12-team league. So uh, someone was very frustrated with what they were seeing from him. And I, I understand it's hard to deal with that early on. But his velocity is actually up this season, Al. I, I was expecting to look and see you know, minus two, minus two and a half on the velocity. He's up about a half mile per hour on the fastball. So it's not a velo problem. You know, still using the changeup over 25% of the time. It's kind of the same pitch mix that he was using last year when he was really effective before he got hurt. So I, I do think Luke Weaver is a shallow league pickup where available. And I'm a lot more confident saying that, of course, coming off a good start. You know, I'd say after that, it's Gonzalez over Senzatella simply because of Coors. But there have been more than a few occasions now where I've seen Antonio Senzatella pitch on the road and I've started to dream on what this guy would actually be if he didn't have to deal with Coors Field for half of his starts. I think there's a pretty talented pitcher there just stuck in the usual bad Colorado situation. 
Yeah, and he's uh, you know pitched well so far this year, so uh, definitely raising his profile. And sort of looked like almost the, the uh, pitching lines got flipped for Luke Weaver and Frankie Montas based on what they had done heading into uh, Tuesday, but just a miserable start for Montas against the Diamondbacks. Gave up nine runs in one and two-thirds innings. Worth noting that he was supposed to start last Friday, uh, but was scratched with uh, a tight upper back and didn't pitch until Tuesday, so... Uh, we'll see if maybe he makes that start on Sunday. And if he doesn't, that's obviously a red flag. And if he does and doesn't perform well, that's, that's a red flag as well. And for the Padres, uh, a start from Adrian uh, Morahone, three scoreless hitless innings, uh, just a, giving up a walk, four strikeouts and doing it in just a tidy 39 pitches. So be interesting to see how he gets used next if he gets another start because uh, a, a very auspicious uh, start for Morihone. And uh, just a few hitters uh, to take note of here. Brandon Nimmo with a big game at Miami, three for five with a homer and a triple, scored his 18th run of the season, which places him among the leaders. And uh, pretty interesting, 253, 431, 482 slash line now. So um, I doubt he's available in too many OBP leagues, but uh, he's he's ripping it up in that format. Randall Gritchick with his fourth home run, uh, one of his two hits against the Orioles. His strikeout rate, whiff rate, and trace rates all of them down and he's batting 330 or at least was batting 339 last time I was able to check the box score that game's still in progress um Tim Anderson Brandon Lau Anthony Santander they're staying hot I'm not sure there's more to say about them but out of that group of hitters is there anybody you're you're distrusting hmm distrusting from that group actually not really that's a pretty good group of bats I think Brandon Lau uh, was a bit of a stat cast darling last year the K rate was kind of high so that was the one knock on him but he's young enough where you could see that coming down and with Santander it's like playing time is not a concern exit velocity is up compared to last year I, I don't really see any reason to completely write him off now I don't know if I look at him as like a 30 home run guy over a full season but I do think he's a legitimate quality run producer for that Baltimore lineup so if you picked him up early or if he's available in a, a 10 team league if he's still out there I think he's legit enough to be like a top 40 top 50 outfielder here on out all right well uh you know that's just uh the highlights there uh, a lot more uh, notable performances uh but i'm sure we'll get to those uh, players in a later uh, episode but uh, we got to wrap up here and before we do uh Time to check out Eno's latest featured read. This one is what is spin efficiency and why do the Rays have it in spades? We've talked a lot about Jalen Beeks since opening day. He makes, uh, not surprisingly, a, a cameo appearance in this article. Uh, some pretty interesting explanation in terms of why he's been so much better this year. And that's going to be all for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Thursday. <laughs>